Welcome to the New England Take in WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, 101.9 FM Manchester, and nhtalkradio.com. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. Be sure to check out nhtalkradio.com where you can find all the back episodes of the show and follow NA, New follow New England Take on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, posting things there all the time, random photos around Concord over on the Instagram side of the house. I'll eventually get that under control with regards to it's branded for the show, but I don't use it for the show, but whatever. Future problems for future May. I'm excited this week to be joined by Kate Baker Demers. She's the executive director over the Children's Scholarship Fund. Welcome to the show. So happy to be here, AJ. So a secret government insider connected me uh, with you. I really appreciate him for doing that. So thank him for me. <laughs> Will do. Will do. I'm happy to be on. You can learn more about the Scholarship Fund over at scholarshipfund.org. Fantastic web address. I just want to throw that out there. Great for the SEO side of the house. But what what is the work of your organization? So since 2013, we've been running the school choice programs in New Hampshire. And right now we run two programs. We have a scholarship fund um, for children low income that need an education alternative like a private school, or we also offer homeschooling scholarships. The fun part about that, AJ, is we were the first school choice program in the nation to include homeschoolers in it when the legislature put that first program, our scholarship fund, into place in 2013. And the way it works is a business or individual can make a donation and they get a tax credit. So it's called the tax credit scholarship. They can take a minus on their tax return, which is kind of better than a deduction against the money they give us. And that goes into a pool where families apply. And they did that, the legislature, to create more education opportunities for kids. And then this past year, the legislature passed a bill that created education freedom accounts in New Hampshire. And we run that program now also. So we're able to offer families a scholarship and an education freedom account or an education freedom account, depending on their needs. And that has been a total blast doing that. I mean, the program has 2,000 kids in it now, and we just, um, the first installment in the Education Freedom Accounts was just November of this year. And so families are just over the moon to have resources. You know, I don't know if you remember, you know, during the pandemic when so many schools were closed and everyone was worried about how kids would learn, right? They didn't have internet access. They didn't have computers. You know, some families switched to little private schools because they were open and their neighborhood public school might have been closed. So my phone rang off the hook that summer with people who just wanted to go to a school, for example, that was open. Right. Mm. But these were your grocery store workers and your, your delivery drivers and people that don't have money to be able to pay for a private school. And they should be able to do that. Right. They need to go to work. They had to go to work in person. They needed a school that was open. And so, so many of them moved their kids to homeschooling or a, a private school and absolutely need these education freedom accounts to continue educating their kids. So people have just been over the moon about it. I mean, it's amazing. This money otherwise, you know, just would sit, right? It's the child state education funding following them. And, you know, in 20, what is it? Two, it's 2022 now, right? When we know you can learn everywhere, right? You can go on the internet right. and figure out anything and learn anywhere. It totally makes sense for the money to follow a kid, you know, without buildings. Like I never knew why before we were so focused on buildings, 
<laughs> when yeah, I'm like, I mean, this our is... building's obsolete, you know, aren't we all? Look at we're right here on this. Exactly, we're using thing. Zoom for we're this show, and other, right? I mean, that's been a, a huge thing, especially my gender. I'm a millennial. I'm 35, and it was something I was never thought about. Like, I gotta go to the public school, especially in rural New England, where there's not necessarily yeah. other options. My high school was very fortunate, where it was a private school because. That there were no high schools around. Like you go to the the city schools, which uh, us rural folk were like, I don't want to go to the city school. I prefer to kind of keep with our little community. And community means so many things nowadays. And, and you you're seeing seeing a lot. The New Hampshire Bulletin wrote about the fact that uh, religious schools have received a lot of uh, a lot of this money that's going through following the students because so many students are well, and they were open. That. Yeah, they, they were, were open. open. That's day. so important were, in the last couple of years. They especially. were open, you know, um, and like families I, moved there because they were open. You know, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned religious schools and it's like the data from just the little Catholic schools in New Hampshire, you know, like on every corner. It was actually only half the kids in the schools are, you know, religious or Catholic. People are really going there because it's a great alternative. They're smaller class sizes. They're, you know, in many cases, individualizing education for their kids you know, more academically advanced or kids that have challenges and need personal attention. And so it's been really, really interesting. It was the most movement during this pandemic in education I'd ever seen. And I've been doing this for like a decade hmm. and I've never seen as much, you know, even people that needed to stay home, right? Remember there are medically fragile children who needed not to go to a building also, Right. And so there was people who needed buildings when they were closed and there was people who needed to not go into buildings. And it doesn't make sense to exclude any one of those groups. Right. It should be the money should follow the kid in and out of a classroom for sure. Yeah, I got into it on Facebook, and which is part of the reason why I ended up getting connected to you, it, it, because the Bolton wrote about this, and so many people were just freaking out in there. I, I commented, like, this is great. I mean, people can send Well, it makes sense to millennials. Them. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense to millennials, for it, sure. It, it yeah. definitely is a lot, definitely a generation gap with, with regards to it. I mean, many, it's it seems generally speaking, those that are 40 and up, especially were like, this doesn't make sense. But because I was also making the fight on there, like it doesn't need to be a religious school. Like you can be as far left on the political spectrum as you want. Do your own homeschool education. I will 100 percent disagree with probably a lot of what you're teaching your kid, but you have the right to do that. And you'd be able to have funding to be able to do that appropriately. Well, what it says creating this type of system is that we trust parents in New Hampshire. Right. Right. That we trust that we are. It is the live for your die state. And we trust parents to make educational decisions for their kids. I mean, there's always going to be somebody who that that is scary to them. Right. Where they say, oh, the parents not going to have enough knowledge or they're not going to have enough resources or. But rather as a state, I mean, with our whole mindset here, it makes good sense for us to trust parents to make educational decisions for their kids. They know their kids better than anyone, you know, better than any legislator could that would even make a law better than even I could. And I help people, parents and kids all day. Right. And so we trust them in New Hampshire to make education decisions. And that's absolutely the core of this entire, you know, discussion. What were some surprising ways which you have found families utilizing these dollars? I'm sure we'll, we'll be diving into all sorts of stories, I'm assuming, through the through this interview. But start off with, like, what what's something that was really different that you didn't expect? So, I mean, it was interesting for me because, you know, I'm talking to you right now on a computer. And I thought people had 
computers, okay? Mm -hmm. But low-income people do not have the same access to technology that I do. And that was very surprising and a good learning experience for me. I hadn't really thought about that, that families that are economically challenged did not have access to technology. And so a lot of families did use their education freedom accounts right off the bat to buy their children a Chromebook or an iPad or a computer to do online learning or to take an online class or even for a kid who was going to a little private school, but the school doesn't offer it, right? They had to borrow it or they were begging and borrowing to get an old, you know, beat up thing that barely worked. And so that was actually the most interesting to me was to be enlightened. I was quite enlightened pretty quickly that access to technology is something that is definitely limited by your you know, economic ability to buy something. And so a lot of families were telling me stories about how their child had never had access to technology until now, or like we have this many kids and they were all fighting and having to share this. And now so-and-so has their own computer and they can just sit and do their work on their own computer. And it's been such an incredible blessing to people. I've been ex- extremely fortunate. I, I always praise up the Concord School District where my, my kid goes to school. He's in the second grade out here because they were able to provide the devices. But many school districts do not have that funding. Like Concord was even able to do COVID testing. Like th- this is yes. not something so many rural schools across the state were able to provide. Right. Yes. And so that's that was a big eye opener for me. Um, also, people had moved their kids to schools that were open and honestly couldn't pay for it. Yeah. And so that was an emergency too, right? That they had moved their kid to a school. They didn't want to change. You know, you don't, you disrupt your kid because of the pandemic, right? And you move them to a school that's open so you can go to work in the grocery store. And then yes, your school reopens, but you're like, do I really want to disrupt my child again? No, now I want to just leave them there. They're happy. They're fine. Don't fix something that's not broken, right? And those families definitely needed the money to pay the tuition at the schools that they moved their children to that were open and they want to keep them there and not disrupt them again. And so that's also a really important piece of what we're doing. Do you end up doing much with the uh, Virtual Learning Academy? So VLAX is online charter school in New Hampshire. And those classes are tuition free already. So charter schools are tuition free. So a family doesn't need our money to go to a charter school, but they might take a class, right? If you're a homeschooler and you're in our program, you might take a class at, at VLAX. Yeah, it's, that was super interesting. Like so, so much light has been brought on to K through 12 education through this. It's, Recurring theme, I just said this an hour ago in another interview, but I'm going to say it again. Like a recurring theme through my discussions with people post-COVID is the shining light that maybe we can find some glimmer of hope coming out of COVID that we learned some lessons. Maybe there's something we can take away from this horribleness that occurred over the last couple of years. And um, definitely- It was a disaster. I mean, I didn't see any shining lights at all during the pandemic. I mean, it was a disaster for low income people. It was a disaster for the kids whose, you know, remote learning really didn't work for so many kids. You know, yes, it works for some kids, but it didn't work across the board. And so to me, that was a total disaster that then, yeah, it was interesting for me that I suddenly became the most popular person in New Hampshire and everybody started understanding what I've been doing for a decade, AJ. Okay. So I've been doing this, raising money and helping kids with scholarships since before, since 2013, when they passed the law, it's not a decade, nine years, right? 
And finally, people were like, oh, we get it now. Now we see why, you know, how one size doesn't fit all. It was really transparent around that. There was no way after that experience that you could say one size fits all, right? Because you definitely know remote learning worked great for some kids and it was terrible for other kids. Clearly, you can't do the same thing for all kids. You've got to be able to have let the kid have the education that helps them reach their full potential. And we can totally do that in New Hampshire, just like they do with the education freedom accounts. Now that money can follow the child. It's basically giving the kid their education funding. The parents are taxpayers. I mean, they're the ones paying it in basically giving that money right back to the family and saying, you, you direct, you choose what education's right for your kids so they can reach their potential and bam, off they run. So such a great idea. What was the, just want to stay on it before we move, move off from it entirely. I mean, is there any other lessons learned from working with the religious schools with things like this? Like, is there anything else that stood out to you uh, with that aspect of education in the state? Well, I've been doing this for a long time. And with my scholarships, sometimes people did choose a, a small religious school. And in my experience, it's almost like um, complete social services for a low-income family. Mm. So I have a family that was driving to a rural Catholic school and they had trouble with the gas money and the families from the school gave them gas cards so they could pay for the gas to get to the school. I have another family at a school in Hudson where our scholarship family goes to the food bank that they have at the school and gets groceries from the food bank at the school to be able to eat right while they send their kids there. And so I do find the small school environment to be extremely conducive to helping low-income people from a very comprehensive standpoint. It's important for many families to have a community at the school where, because it ends up being your community, whether whether you like it or not. Your little right. kid's going to be out there making friends, and guess what? The parents are going to come along for those school activities, and you're going to be interacting with them. And it's an important thing for many people to have a community that they agree with on an ideological or ethical or religious perspective. Yeah, I, I think in general, it seems like if a kid is struggling, particularly a ch children that are struggling or kids that are bullied, predominantly do do well when they go to a smaller school environment. And so I have seen a lot of that over the years. Well, from the, the non-religious side of the house, I mean, the, the other private schools in the state, I mean, are there some, some other stories that have really stood out to you? Sure. So it seems like um, Montessori school, and I don't know how much you know about Montessori, but Not they much, use so if you could give a little bit on that, please. Yeah. They use materials that are very hands on. So you would use a lot of manipulatives in the school. Everything is like a project that you work on. That's the manipulative, um, particularly special needs kids. I've had a lot of um, little boys with autism do well in a Montessori school because you're working independently and individually, and you're using manipulatives and hands-on. So it's not as much of that in-your-face direct instruction, right? So it seems like particularly families with special needs are sometimes choosing that. But I've got to be honest with you, AJ, at this point, we have kids, it seems like almost in every private school that you can think of in New Hampshire, right? And so they run the whole gamut from your little independent schools, you know, a Christian school, a Catholic school, a Waldorf school, a Montessori school. It's, it's everything. People are doing outdoor ed. People are doing experiential type things. Then there's stuff that looks more traditional. There's schools with more rules. There's schools with less rules, right? And so it really is, uh, I, I call New Hampshire kind of like edutopia, right? 
because you've got like every different kinds of choice that you could make here, right? And to your point, our local public schools are good also, right? And so it's like, it's amazing here just in general, New Hampshire is a really great place for education. So how does your organization work to make sure that you're putting the dollars towards an education that's really going to pay off or is long-term, I'm just going to say it, it's not a scam. It's not. It's a school that's honestly going to be making sure that the children get the education they need. So to get. Every provider has requirements. Every school or education provider that participates with us has requirements that they have to meet. For example, all the private schools that we send kids to or pay their tuition or that they use their education freedom account to pay for are all already approved by the DOE. Mm-hmm. And they have a whole regulation process around that. And so um, each each different provider has different requirements, but they're really, it's not rocket science. You know, like the DOE has a standard application that if you want to open a school, you've got to go through them and get approved. And so that's kind of basic. I think my more, the way I like to think of it is I want alternatives to exist and innovative alternatives to exist. And so I'm hopeful that in the long run that having these programs in place will cause new and different things to happen, right? Like I noticed in the past few years, people have started opening homeschool centers, okay, where homeschoolers go and take classes and courses or spend a day and have an advisor. It's kind of like a hybrid school building school. And it seems like more of those types of things are popping up. And so what I like to do in the program is really try to be, I don't want to say flexible because I'm not super flexible. I'm super neurotic, but to be more forward thinking and out of the box, kind of like, like I'm the out of the box solution for the out of the box kids. You know what I mean? Thinking about, I'm hoping things come along that are things we didn't think of, AJ, are things we can't even think of right now. You know, and then there's the basics. Like we survey the families every year and 97% of them say they see academic achievement increases in their kids. I mean, yes, fine. There's great data, right? It's mostly low-income kids in the program. We're helping tons of free and reduced lunch kids. But to me, I'm really hopeful that families having these options and being able to look and choose from things, I'm hopeful that it creates more innovation and that something comes along that I'm like, what even is this? You know, <laughs> like, that's what I hope. For example, there's an organization called Prenda that's starting pods in New Hampshire. They're like micro schools mm-hmm. where it's led by a guide and the, it's an online platform, but you have a guide person. It's almost, again, it looks like a group of homeschoolers working together. And they do the online platform is really what guides their learning. They do academics in the morning. They do projects in the afternoon. And that's the kind of idea where how do you even substantiate what's good? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's totally individualized. So I'm thinking, is the, is the child happy? Are they getting their needs met? I mean, these are our future leaders, right? And it's 2022. We should absolutely be helping parents to meet the children's individual needs. We're going to take a quick break right here. You're listening to New England Take and WKXL. I'm joined by Kate Baker Demers. She's the executive director over the Children's Scholarship Fund. It's scholarshipfund.org if you want to learn more about them. We're going to take a quick break. Be right back after this. Welcome back to the New England Take WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kirsted. Be sure to check out nhtalkradio.com to get the back episodes of the show. 
Also, be sure to follow New England Take on Facebook and Twitter, where you can get all the podcast versions of the show. Posting some videos up there, too. The live streaming's been an interesting thing to play around with, so always follow and keep an eye out for those notifications. Continuing my conversation here with Kate Baker Demers. She's the executive director over the Children's Scholarship Fund. Scholarshipfund.org. It's been really interesting to see the education landscape in New Hampshire outside of just what you'd ordinarily think of. I mean, what are some ways that you're seeing on the homeschooling side of the house that they're able to utilize funds in uh, in ways to make sure that children are getting the resources they need? Yeah, that's been really fun to see. I mean, some people homeschool because they have to, right? They might have a medically fragile children, child that needs to stay home. It seems like a lot of people homeschool too because they have a gifted and talented kid who's like 17 years advanced, right? And needs to keep working independently. So that's always interesting to me. But what I like in what I'm seeing is these little homeschool resource centers that are popping up. So there's one in Derry called Latitude Learning Resources. There was one in Dover called Big Fish. And now there's one opening up in Ware, New Hampshire called Granite Mines. And what they do is offer classes and courses that homeschoolers can take a la carte. So it almost looks like a community college for little kids, right? You know how you could go to the community college and be like, I'm gonna take you know, so cool. a science class. You could just sign up. These look like community colleges for teeny, teeny babies. You know what I mean? So you, and they go there and they'll be like, I'm gonna take this class in you know, civics or, or whatever. And I, I think that's a really cool, you know, it speaks to the number of people who switched to homeschooling during the pandemic. I mean, those numbers went up tremendously, even in New Hampshire, really all, all over the nation. And it makes sense that we're seeing some innovation around that uh, that space. I want to add one other thing, AJ, when you're saying our URL, a family's got to go to nh.scholarshipfund.org you're seeing scholarshipfund.org, which is Children's Scholarship Fund National, and we're, they're our parent. We're nh.scholarshipfund.org. And when someone goes there and they click on apply, they're gonna see actually the applications for the two programs that we run. So we run that education tax credit scholarship program, which again, money people donate. And we run the education freedom account. The family can actually do the applications both together. And it's open right now for the fall. So someone interested in um, getting help, if they have, say they have something in mind for their child, like, boy, I wish my child could go to this Montessori school. Now's the time to apply for the fall. Again, it's nh.scholarshipfund.org, but I agree, best URL in the history. It is, it's awesome. Definitely explains what we do. Definitely explains what we do. There's no question in your mind. Go to nh.scholarshipfund.org, you get a scholarship, right? Yeah. Pretty much, and ask questions. I'm assuming, right? If you if you contact you guys, you, you'll you'll assist with maybe because I'm assuming most parents don't know. I mean, when I when yeah, I, I love to do that. I love to do that. Actually, I love. I have a little Google Maps in my head. I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of institutionalize it because I I love doing that. I love when somebody says, you know, I have a special needs kid who needs this, that, and the other thing, and we live here geographically. And then my little mind starts turning all up and down thinking, okay, what's in that area? And then I could rattle off all the schools, you know, geographically that they could drive to. And I can even tell them like, what's the different flavors of all the schools in their area. And I, and I don't know how to make that into a tool that everyone could use for now. They just have to use my brain and talk to me on the phone, but clearly you can tell, I, I mean, I hate talking. I'm terrible at it. Yeah. And I never want, you know, but I love it. I love helping families. That's why I started the thing. And I love to talk to people about what education options are in their area. 
And yes, I know everything that's going on in the whole state around this alternative eds to kind of stuff. I'm on the bleeding edge here. And so I can usually tell someone at least four or five different things to check out in their area that they maybe didn't ever know existed. There's a lot of networking when it comes to stuff like this. It's it's different people come move in and out of the state over time and different schools pop up and different teachers go through different schools that maybe want to try different things. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. I mean, we've got a lot of charter schools in New Hampshire. Those are tuition fee. Remember, someone doesn't need me to go to a charter school, but some really cool niche charter schools like in Nashua, there's a school called ASD, the Academy for Science and Design where their kids are just blasting the ceiling off that place. It's so academically accelerated. You know, those kids doing STEM. I mean, maybe they are blasting the ceiling off. I hope not, actually. Please don't. Keep those insurance rates down. (laughs) They're building building rockets there and stuff. But, you know, we do have a lot of great options in New Hampshire. And, you know, some of the families who are more rural, like you talked about earlier, you know, that is where we see the most homeschoolers using our program is in the more rural areas. But there are homeschool co-ops, you know, groups of homeschoolers getting together to share resources and do classes really all over the state. But, yes, I do see more of that in rural areas, because if you've got a if you've got a kid and they go to the public school, then they get bullied. Right. And you're like, OK, I got to do something else with them. If you're in those rural areas driving to find a private school, you know, might be an hour and that just doesn't make sense. And so we see more homeschoolers in those areas for sure. Have you been seeing, especially as we come out of COVID, where people don't necessarily have to use Zoom and such necessarily on a regular basis so much when it comes to education? There was a lot of lessons learned when it came to using doing hybrid models in K through twelve. It for the most part didn't work. Like it was it was a it was a mess for so many schools. You need to it's a totally different pedagogical method when you're when you're doing something like that that almost no teachers are really trained on it's it's very niche i mean what ways are you seeing technology being utilized in the education space coming out of covid in ways that maybe they learned some lessons that okay this works this way right it does seem like everyone is using google classroom now right Mm -hmm. and posting lessons online so even if you're in person if you need say you need to stay home now remember there's still some kids every once in a while that stay have to stay home particularly now we know right if you're sick stay home we all learned yeah. that lesson during this whole disaster right now we know you got a cold you gotta just stay home now so you do still have to stay home sometimes and I, we're finding that the kids still have access right to all of their education because now everybody's posting everything everything's on google classroom everything's more accessible And so that's been working great for families. I know my family, some of the schools did go remote for a very short period of time. And they were very fast to switch to like, just like we're doing, switch to Zoom and and broadcasting their classes and and being interactive. So I, I don't think there's any downside to that. I just feel like, you know, you do need for many, many kids, they need to be in person. They really need to be in person. And there's a lot of downsides to technology too right and so it's been a little bit of both so moving over to kind of the advocacy side of the house which i guarantee you're stuck having to do a lot of i mean what's what's it like in new hampshire with regards to support from concord yeah so what i find is your everyday person on the street thinks this is a great idea right when you talk to your regular neighbors or you know regardless of political party when you say to someone, should a kid 
you know, be able to use their education funding to go to whatever education option meets their needs, people are like, absolutely, they should be able to do that, regardless of, you know, political affiliation or anything like that. In the legislature, it is more polarized, for sure. And the discussion there is mostly about money. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, it can be a little bit frustrating just to talk about money all the time when you know my passion is helping kids, right? And so that that's the difference really in the legislature versus your regular everyday people is when you're in the legislature, you're really just talking about money. And, and with regular people, they're actually talking about kids and education and a kid's education needs. And that's the space I like to stay in is the space where I'm not controversial. I run a charity that helps kids and it's helping kids get the education they need. I mean, fighting about money is just, I guess, the nature of money in existence, right? Like, being a nonprofit. I'll suddenly be a referral on you or whatever be, you know, but literally, I mean, if you have a thing, people are going to, you know, play tug of war over it. And so, yes, in the, in the legislature, the discussion is mostly about money, but there's enough people there that think the money should follow the child instead of funding buildings that the, the program exists now. And so there's that. I mean, it exists and we're running it, so... There we go. What's it? What's the landscape look like nationwide when you look at it from a macro lens? I mean, is yeah. New Hampshire doing very different things from other states? Is it doing something the equivalent to maybe what you see in more rural, more libertarian-leaning states as New Hampshire tends to be when it comes to uh, a lot of aspects? So it's not. You're right. These are not new ideas. So when our education tax credit law went into pass that created the scholarships in 2013, there was 12 other states doing that already at the time. And I think now there's like 22. And when our, and now this is gonna be tough for me because I, I tend to stay very local. Okay, I'm a really teeny thinker. Like I like to think about families and kids in New Hampshire, remember, but I know our program, the Education Freedom Account, there was already programs that existed like that nationwide. I think there was five programs. In particular, Arizona and Florida look similar to what we're doing here. And when our bill passed, there were a lot of other states working on it. And I'm not sure how many, I'd have to go look it up to tell you how many other states did this, but a lot of people did this in response to the pandemic you know, to give families access to their education funding so they could do what they needed. Do you feel like long run this is going to be able to continue to to happen? I mean, do you feel like enough families are finally like realizing, oh, this money's here and I can do it? Like, do you think it, it'll take another year before it really gets that widespread acknowledgement that, oh, this this funding exists? Um, I mean, 2000 people already have it. Um, so I think it's it's catching on. I also think that it's the future, right? I mean, I how much longer will we really even have buildings, AJ? You know what I mean? Like when you look at those homeschool co-op centers where you go, you know, for your advising and you go for classes and you, I mean, how, I, I don't know. I'm just, I think this is the future in general. And I don't know what the future looks like because I'm just a regular, you know, person helping kids, but it makes sense for there not to be walls on the funding, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing yeah. what we know about the world and the future. 
There you and see so, it in the higher education space also. I mean, people are really yeah. beginning to appreciate the community college systems that exist. Not everyone needs to go to a four-year, $60,000 college like I made a uh, decision to do and uh, proceeded to pay a lot of money out of Sorry pocket afterwards for a decade. Bro. Sorry about your student loan problem. <laughs> it, it, it only makes sense that it, it funnels down to the, the K-12 through education system too. I mean, there's so many yeah. opportunities when it comes to fact technology exists so in such an efficient way that you can just you go on amazon you can get whatever book you need right yeah and i do so i do think this is the, the future and i don't know what the future looks like i just know that it exists one to meet a real need right two thousand people is no joke that's a real need right and so two thousand kids so that's a real need. So obviously people want this, right? Number one, that's a clear, clear showing of, we want this to exist. And number two, I think that yes, education will continue to evolve, right? And people will continue to have new ideas and to be able to harness and take advantage of all those new ideas. Yes, you probably shouldn't just put all the kids funding in a building with walls, you should let it follow the child so that they can have all of these different types of experiences. But I'm kind of wild, as you can see, it's you know, crazy. <laughs> what a crazy idea. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's crazy at all. I think it's totally logical. Yeah. And so and I'm just money applying basic logic. You know? It's money you're paying in. I mean, you, we always hear, well, you're taking my tax dollars to do this. Like, well, these families are also paying tax dollars, like rent costs a certain amount of money for me to live in this apartment because uh, a lot of that money is going over to Concord to be spent on education and it, it should go where I want to send my kid. I, like, I'm, once again, I'm very fortunate. Concord School District's great. I'm a mile away from the school. I we drop my kid off every morning. This is not the same situation for many families. Many families, their both parents are working full time. They got to work around daycare and everything like that. And maybe the public school to daycare uh, uh, mechanism that's been around for so long isn't what they feel like is best for their family. Yeah, I just think again, it's 2022, right? And we know one size doesn't fit all. And so we absolutely should let families have this funding to follow their kid, the funding that belongs to their kid anyway. You're right, yeah, absolutely. What first got you into doing this? We got a few minutes left and what, uh, what led you I'll to be you really sorry? I'll tell you this story. So I was sitting actually on the board of a charter school and charter schools, as we discussed before, are tuition free, but to get in, they use lottery systems. Okay. So uh, say you've got a charter school and you've got 30, 30 spaces available, right? So if a hundred people apply for those 30 spaces, we used to use these bingo balls. Okay. To choose the spaces. Listen, ready? So the 30 people would get the spaces and then the other 70 people would cry, okay? And after three years of watching people be devastated by not getting into this alternative ed school that I was the board chair of, I was like, who's helping these other people, right? I knew there was options out there. I knew there was Montessori and Waldorf or the little Catholic school with smaller class sizes or whatever it was. I just knew they didn't have money. Right. Families couldn't afford to pay for those options. That's why they wanted to get into that charter school so bad. They wanted the alternative ed, but they wanted an alternative for their kids. They couldn't afford to pay. I was like, money is a problem you can solve. All right. And at the time I was working at a software company. My friend was in the legislature. He had this bill about the tax credit. 
And I was like, he's like, what do you think about this? And I said, listen, if you can get that passed, I will quit my job and start the scholarship fund. And I thought pigs would fly before the thing would pass because it's kind of weird. Remember, I described it to you. I said, people donate and then they get to take the tax credit off the money they would otherwise pay. It's not that easy to understand. And so I was like, good luck, buddy. If you get that passed, I'll quit my job and start the thing. Sure enough, it passed. And then I was like, okay, let's do this. And I only almost starved to death like three times so far. It's good. It's good. It's free goals. It's good. Here I am almost 10 years later. Right. And the program started from zero. Right. It started from zero, started from like 40 kids in the first year to like, you know, whatever, 3000 kids now. What's, so it what's was that relationship look like with the national office? Um, Children's Scholarship Fund National is our parent and we operate under their umbrella. And so they just help us. So everything I raise in New Hampshire stays in New Hampshire, all the money in New Hampshire. But they help us with resources. And it was a good fit. Um, I initially started this as my own nonprofit, my own little New Hampshire nonprofit. But like I said, I almost starved to death doing that because you just not, you know, it was a new idea in New Hampshire. And I don't know if you can imagine, you know, hi, it's me. I have this brand new idea about tax policy. Right. So it was like it took a little while to get going. And so I did go to Children's Scholarship Fund National and ask if I could become a state partner of them in 2000. 15. And they said yes, because again, they run, as you noticed, scholarship programs all over the country. And from that point, I've been part of Children's Scholarship Fund. And so that's great. And incredibly helpful to me. And I, I couldn't do it without them. Is there a story from your early days that really reinforced, like, I made the right decision? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's so many stories, AJ, I can't even stand it. But um, here's an example. There was a little boy in Claremont School District who was a child with autism who was having violent outbursts, okay? So he lives with his grandparents because of the opioid crisis and was in school, um, again, a real discipline problem, but he also has special needs. And so he was one of those like restraint and seclusion kids, right? Where he was getting violent and a danger to himself and the people around him. And his grandmother was like, I gotta do something about this. She got a scholarship from us he went to a Montessori school. And by the time he had been there for like three years, he was so well adjusted and so much improved that he even made a little karate studio promo video. Okay. And so she sent it to me, his little karate studio promo video where he's like, my name's Gabe. You should come to my karate studio. It's great here. We learned so much. Okay. Changed his entire trajectory of his entire life. Now he goes to high school, like he's got a tie and he's probably going to go to college instead of being a kid who actually was a physical danger to the people around him. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's 2000 stories like that, AJ. And so I'm absolutely doing the right thing. All right. Give the plug here. Another minute left. Where should people go if they want to learn more about this, if they want to start getting involved with what your organization does? Yeah. NH.scholarshipfund.org. You can also do CSF, right? Children's Scholarship Fund, the acronym and New Hampshire written out.org. And you'll find us there and you can find out how to make a donation if you're a business and take the tax credit, or you can apply for a scholarship and an education freedom account. So thanks again so much, AJ, for having me. 
Thank you so much for joining me. I mean, Kate Beck Baker Demers, she's the executive director for Children's Scholarship Fund here in New Hampshire. It's nh.scholarshipfund.org. Please be sure to check that out. This is actually continuing my kind of slew of conversations with people on the seri- on uh, education freedom counts in New Hampshire. A few weeks back, I had Sarah Scott, who is over at Americans for Prosperity of New Hampshire, where we dived into kind of very high level of a lot of this. So if you missed the first segment, that's a, especially that's another uh, interview. I highly suggest you check out. Um, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, project with these education freedom accounts, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, look into it. It's It can be used for so much, and you should take the government up on getting your money back. You're listening to the New England Take and WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> 